0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 116 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by Equestrian Collections, Horseshow.com, and Charles Owen. Stafford back with you for another very full episode of the Dressage Radio Show, which this week focuses exclusively on para-dressage. And my guests are Courtney Dye, who has set herself a new goal to become a para-dressage competitor, Britain's Jane Goldsmith, who is a five-star para-dressage judge and coach, and also was a previous coach to Lee Pearson, Our first guest here on the show this week, Lee Pearson, of course, is a multi-Olympic gold medalist for Great Britain, and he's going to kick us off on this week's show. But before we get to Lee, a lot of people ask me about how they can listen to the show. Some people go directly to the website, but I did want to remind you that you can listen on iTunes, and a lot of people do that by downloading the free podcast each week. All you have to do is hook up your MP3 player, your iPhone, your iPod, blackberry whatever it may be just hook it up to itunes subscribe to dressage radio it's easy easy to search for that on itunes and that way you get the latest episode every week and you can listen to it on the go that's the way i listen to it and of course if you uh, have an iphone you can download the hallway feeds app which carries all the horse radio network shows But I don't want to waste any more time here on the show because it is a very, very full show and I want to kick off with our first guest. But let me just remind you of Lee Pearson's accomplishments. He is a multi-gold medalist. As I said, he's won all the gold medals that he could collect at three Olympic Games starting in Sydney in 2000 and on to Athens 2004 and in Beijing in 2008. In 2005, he was awarded the OBE and the New Year's Honours list. And in 2009, he was then awarded the CBE. He's been uh, inducted into the British Horse Society Hall of Fame. He has won sports personalities awards. The list goes on and on. So no better person to tell us what it takes to get there and to stay at the top of this sport. Lee, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me
1: yeah thank you for having me guys
0: well it's nice to have you on at last um but i first thing we have to ask you is how you are after your fall
1: uh, i'm fine I'm fine um I went to the accident emergency unit and they uh, straight away that evening of uh, having the accident and they said i hadn't broken anything and sent me home with painkillers so I actually got on with normal life for three weeks and um tried to ride on the second week after I just thought I was bruised and battered and it was finally a, a struggle, and I just had a new Grand Prix horse arrive, so I really wanted to ride, and um, and it was just so painful. I managed three days and got less and less and less in time on in the saddle each day, and then I asked the management for an MRI scan, and was told I broke my back in four places, oh, wow. crushed, crushed three vertebrae, and uh, no, cracked three vertebrae and crushed a fourth. But I'm um, i i I, I spent three weeks kind of driving around the country, doing clinics and doing all normal stuff, really, other than riding. So I've had um, eight weeks off now since since the MRI scan, and I've um, another scan a few days ago and ho- waiting for the results of that. But I'll be back in the saddle and hopefully be be competing soon.
0: Gosh, uh, well, that's a, a obviously a hindrance and very it sounds very painful to break so much. But you're you're probably used to that. You've probably got a pretty tolerant uh, pain level, haven't you?
1: I think I have. When with broken bones, don't pull my hairs on my legs because then I really will. Pull out. <laughs> as far as breaking bones go, then yeah, that that kind of comes with the territory a little bit.
0: It does. Well, tell us about the new horse you have.
1: Uh, I've got I've got uh, a, a few horses in the pipeline for London, but um, I do have a, a new four year old mare who won't be ready for London. She's called um, the Lady Lady Joseph Charitable Trust bought the mare for me, and she's called Silhouette, and she's black. She's beautiful. She's a lovely, lovely person, and really calm in the stable. And when you get on her, she's like a Ferrari to ride. Um, with one of my grooms, um, we just took, took her to her first young horse class, and she she won that. Out twenty eight in the in the class of top riders on their top four year olds, and she won that class. So um, she's really phenomenal. Uh, I still have Blue Circle Boy in the field. My old retired. Boy, that I competed in, in Athens, the big golden dun horse. Mm-hmm. We still have gentleman. He's currently my top horse, and then um, we've just had another horse, uh, a stallion imported from Denmark, of which I can't give too much away, but he might be my um, secret weapon for London. But um, I'm not giving anything away about him just yet. But it will be very. Uh, he's very unusual, and it'll be very. It'll be very Lee when people see him. <laughs>
0: Okay. So how many horses do you have altogether? I've counted four. Is that the stable?
1: No, I have about eight horses altogether. Okay. Um I have a brood mare that produces a fabulous offspring, and we have a we have a great fall from her each year. So I've got a two-year-old um black beautiful mare from her. The the brood mare's by Metal. And uh the, the two year old filly that I'm, current, I'm keeping at the moment is by um Sandro Dancer, which is a B- British graded stallion by Sandro Hirt. Um I have her last year old son by a stallion that I own called Bacardi, who's by Breitling. Um, what else do I have? She's currently, she's due to fall on Thursday, actually, for this year's fall, also by Bacardi. Um, I have, obviously, Blue Circle Boy, a Gentleman. I have Zeon, who was my second-in-command horse, who I had the accident on, but... Irony is, he's my best-behaved horse in the yard, but he just couldn't cope with um, restricted exercise very well. Uh, Silhouette, I think that's about it. I apologise if I've left anybody out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm bound to ask you, where do you find these horses, Lee?
1: All over the place, because obviously as you get to high standing when you've been successful, people presume that you've paid a lot of money for them, and and, and, yeah, it does get more expensive to find a quality horse, because that's what everybody wants, but... Like Blue Circle Boy, uh, I took him all the way to Grand Prix, trained him to Grand Prix. People can, can see that on YouTube, the video. And I, can, I won at Pre-St. George with him. I, I found him four miles from my house in a field as a naughty stallion with a very small owner that he used to walk all over. Um, so he certainly wasn't an expensive buy. And then gentlemen, um, I have a contact in Germany called Christian Heinrich. I'm sure a lot of your um, listeners will will know a Christian. And um, gentlemen's come via him. Zeon was bought from one of my grooms and then the other girls we bred by the, the one from the Lady Joseph Charitable Trust. Um, that's a charity that's been set up earlier this year um, um, from a, a lady that sadly passed away and her niece wanted to put the money towards a charity and a trust and love dress and wanted to support the British para riders. So this fund has been set up to support the, the best riders in the country to hopefully maintain that gold medal that team gold medal that we um we like
0: you, you yes you do like that don't you? you've you got a taste for that and then it, you know <laughs> no, nothing is better than gold and now tell us a little bit about you know how anyone would get in in the uk get involved with para dressage because we're going to hear later on in the show lee from courtney king die over here in the states who's uh actually focusing her goals and ambitions now towards the sport of, of paradressage here in the states but how do you get started in the uk what is the structure there for i mean how did you come up personally through the ranks and become well, the star I'll that let, you are at the sport
1: yeah i'll let you know the different structures um obviously we've got a great riding for the disabled association here now they are very therapy orientated but they also have their competition competition structures of regionals and national competitions so some riders come, come by that we also have a scheme under British Dressage um, where um, riders can apply to get on on onto their, their scheme. That's called the Foundation Squad. And then we also have the World Class Performance Squads, which are funded by the Lottery. And we have a Start and Potential Squad. And then we have the Podium Squad, which is the Elite Squad. Um, we have a great competition structure. We have um, Spring, Winter and Summer Championship Series. So there's qualifiers for all of those, and then with championship classes, all all three of those. Um, So in England, it's it's a really competitive sport, and to be on the podium, you've got to have a a lot of talent, uh, a great support group, and and, and great horses. Um, I'm not saying it's all to do with finance, because we have the likes of Anne Dunham, and she's on an old native pony, but he has really good paces and a really good mind, and he comes up with the goods... In the arena, but then we have the likes of Sophie Wells, who competes on the young rider. He's just gone to the Europeans, representing Great Britain on the young rider squad. So to be on the British team, you just have to, you really have to have have it all. Really competitive in Great Britain, which is great, really, because not only um, it's like a pyramid, you need grassroots level riders coming up. Because I will retire at some stage, and so will the other podium riders that we have and you need to have a structure behind that um, but it's really interesting to w- look at other countries around the world now um, getting more behind their, their Paralympic riders and, um, and coming up with structures that not only support their existing riders but all is out there talent spotting for future riders.
0: Well just remind us how, you are, how old you are now Lee and, and how long you've been in the sport.
1: Oh well, I'm very old. I'm 37 now, and um, I've been within power equestrian since 1998. So um, that's what about 13 years. But I've ridden all my life, so I didn't come really through any structures. I I I I, I was doing many disciplines with able-bodied riders whilst having a day job behind a behind an office office desk and. Um, I went to be assessed as a, a, thinking that I wasn't very disabled and I walked out of the assessment being told I was extremely disabled and the, the Great Britain team had medals in their eyes as opposed to pound signs, I think.
0: <laughs> now, what do you attribute to the success in the sport too in, in the UK? Because it really obviously has blossomed enormously in recent years.
1: I think a great RDA system originally, um, but then I, I, I all I think um, really the, the world class funding has certainly helped, and also I think just Paralympians in England are, are are becoming stars now in in all different sports, and once you can get on television and and on radio, I mean I've just finished filming a three month fly on the wall documentary with Channel Four, then it's easier to get sponsorship and then it's easier to pay the bills. So in England it is seen as as um, as as a as a top sport and people appreciate and recognise how successful we've been and understand that actually to stay at the top's more difficult than getting there. So we work really, really hard. But we all have just great structures and, and, and there's fluidity within that. My structure might not be, for example, what maybe Sophie Christensen um, would, would would want or need so um, we have adaptable structures that and support systems that, that that match what the athlete requires.
0: So obviously it's a it's a very focused, uh, as you see system in the in a very successful one. Clearly now with with the with the Olympics in mind, just uh, well hardly a, a year away now, Lee, and yeah. you're coming back from an injury. Can you give us a sense of what your preparation would be? What I mean, and personal fitness and, and also what it involves over the next year because you said you've got a secret weapon there. You're not going to tell us about this time. We'll get you back in a year's time and you can tell us
1: about him. But You, you can get it back just before London. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm doing lots of swimming at the moment to try and stay fit um, and that's really, really helping. And what I'm going to slowly get back in the saddle, but actually I'm, I'm really... I, I stay quite riding fit, to be honest. I'm quite lucky. So I'll take it easy for a week. And then really, to even be, even before I had the accident, I only ride two or three horses a day because what actually happens by the end of the week, I'm actually too exhausted. So I limit myself to, put, to two or three horses a day. And um, I'll be perhaps uh, seeing what I've got in the yard, maybe advertising to see if there's any better horses out there. The trouble is when I advertise for a horse, I get lots of people... Um, offering their horses and and it's very difficult to say to people you need a very very high standard of horse of power with very very good natural basic paces and um, that's actually quite hard to find because it's like a novice type horse but with the experience to go into an international arena so i might i might do a plea to see if there's any better horses in the country than i've already got and if if that's the case and i end up with a lot of horses i'll, I'll compete them nationally compete a few internationally over the next um, 11 months and then really narrow it down by the end of spring next year to hopefully just have two that I'm going to be heading, putting head-to-head um, to compete a- alongside each other to to get the one that we, we think the judges prefer uh, and like. But um, yeah, the secret weapon I'm quite excited about.
0: Now, when you say you've got two horses to choose from, or you hope to have, Lee, when it comes down to making that selection uh, between those two, is that a, a team effort? Is it between this, the selectors and and the response you've had from the judges in the preparation of, uh, at that point, or it, and, or is there is, is it come down? Does it come down to personal choice that you know you would rather ride one than the other?
1: It, it's all of those things uh, at the end of the day um i want to be riding the one that gets the highest score but at the same time if let's say the second in command gives me an easier ride and is mentally easier and maybe a bit more secure then possibly yeah we might take that um we may we may take that horse but it 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 is a decision that we all make with along with the selectors i mean i'm quite lucky i don't get any beneficial treatment but they understand that i know what i'm talking about and um for example, I might go to squad training every month where they see the horses and one of my horses loves it at squad training but, or, but maybe doesn't go as well in the arena. So they trust that I give them honest feedback um, uh, on a daily basis and on a competition basis when they're not there. Um, so it, it is a little bit complex, and it, but it is, it is a decision that really we make alongside the scores of the horses gaining, what the selectors know and have seen and what I'm feeling
0: so obviously, you know, the gold medal is the main goal for for London. What a wonderful, uh, you know, climax to a fantastic career that would be! Did you say you are considering retiring at some point? I mean, what would why why would you retire from this sport Lee?
1: Um, you no, know, what I've actually said is, well, going back to the medals, I'm actually aiming, if I repeat what I've done on the, the past three Paralympic Games, I'll be aiming for 12 gold medals at 2012. So the media in England have picked up on that, and they love that little buzz buzzword, where will, will league get 12 at 12? Um, and what I've said as far as retiring is, that I haven't actually said I'm going to retire. What I've said is I've got no life goals uh, really after London, and that's really to kind of take the pressure off myself a little bit that London is my whole focus. I'm not thinking about after London, whether I will retire or whether I'll carry on. Um, Like any sport and and team, there's politics, and sometimes that's wind you up, and sometimes I think all I want to do is ride my horses and not get involved in politics, but unfortunately you have to when you're at the top of your sport. Um, I'm just... um, Probably about 90% through trying to move house at the moment. We're having a property valued at the moment from the mortgage lenders. That's really exciting for me. It's actually probably one of the biggest things that I've done in my life. And the property is gorgeous and we're going to have the horses and the dogs there and everything. So uh, I, I don't know if I can afford to retire after we've bought this property. Um but mainly, it's politics. I love the horses. Even if I did retire from competition at some point, I love teaching as well. Uh, as we all know, not every rider or athlete makes a great uh, teacher. But I'm I'm a people person and I'm a horse person. And and I think once you've acquired all the knowledge to train horses up to let's say Grand Prix or whatever level, then then it's using your psych psychology skills to get that information over to certain horses and riders. So. I love teaching. I do a lot of teaching around the world as well as around the country. So I think w- when I retire, it probably won't be after London. I will um, I will do more travelling and, and, and do more teaching and try and help more people.
0: Well, it sounds as if you're going to keep extremely busy, Lee, and not least of all in, in the lead-up to the game. So we wish, want to wish you the very best of luck. Obviously really? recovering. I hope the recovery continues to go the way it should and uh, you're back in the tax soon.
1: Well, I said to people, if I have to... Walk around that arena on my crutches in London with four legs, I will be at London. So, uh, breaking my back won't stop me. I'll be there. Good
0: for you, Lee. Well, the best of luck and thank you so much for joining
1: us. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye bye.
0: Well, what a truly inspirational person and an example of how to overcome adversity. And in a moment, we're going to hear another perspective on the sport from five star para dressage judge Jane Goldsmith. But before we hear from Jane, I want to remind you of one of our sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show, Equestrian Collections. Because if you're shopping for a young rider, then Equestrian Collections gives you the very best choice of riding apparel footwear gifts helmets and safety gear for young riders better than any equestrian website in the world and there's always great everyday and promotional prices too with an enormous selection from head to toe equestrian collections have your young riders covers so you can shop at the young riders department at equestriancollections.com or in the horse department Uh, be sure to check them out They have much more than young riders. They have something for everybody there at equestriancollections.com. Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. And my next guest, Jane Goldsmith, is someone I've known for many years. She's been a a former chief examiner for the British Horse Society. She competed successfully herself in show jumping, eventing and dressage and has trained competitors in all of those Olympic disciplines. Also, used to coach Lee Pearson, but now spends much of her time officiating at para dressage competitions. So, no one better qualified to tell us what it involves to become a judge in para dressage and uh, a little bit more about the sport, the growth of it in the UK and worldwide. So, uh, let's hear from Jane. Well, Jane, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show and thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Well, you join us from England. Tell us exactly where you are. A lot of people, of course, uh, know you well over that side of the pond, but uh, give us a sense of where you, where you are in the world.
2: I live in the middle of, of England, not far from Stratford-on-Avon, that almost everyone in the world has heard of, <laughs>
0: yes.
2: um, with very good access to uh, roads and airports, which is really um, essential for the way of life that I've developed over the last, um, Oh, I don't know, 20 years or so, anyhow, um, in, in, in para, and a long time before that, in eventing. So, um, yeah, an ideal location.
0: It is a perfect spot there, Jane, and we should explain that you and I go back a very long way when we worked together in training and education, back, a long time ago now, isn't it?
2: That's right, and in, in fact, I've been doing quite a lot of pruning in my office, and I come across all sorts of things, um, that, uh, Certainly, you and I were involved in together developing NVQs and um, setting up training systems in areas of the horse world that haven't got any training systems, uh, particularly in racing, who, of course, now have a very strong education system.
0: Yes, that's really heartening to see the growth of of that aspect, as you mentioned, the national vocational qualifications there and the growth of training and and, and education in in the horse world. And you have been involved a very long time, longer than we're going to count, Jane, in wearing many hats uh, in the sports and many in the Olympic disciplines. But it would be remiss of me to go any further without congratulating you on winning the British Horse Society Queen's Award for Equestrianism.
2: Well, that's very kind of you. It was um, quite overwhelming. I was not at all expecting it. I I knew I'd been nominated, but I never really thought that I would actually uh, receive the award. And uh, uh, both John, my husband, and I had a wonderful day out at Hickstead where the the award was presented. And um, it's a great honor. There are only... We're only the sixth person so far to receive this award. So, um, yeah, absolutely brilliant.
0: Well, Julie merited, and uh, as I said, you've done so many things, not least of all as an examiner for the British Horse Society and a judge. And we want to talk, of course, this week about uh, your role as a para-judge. And But just give us a, a sense, of, to put this in context, Jane, of where you came from outside of the para-world and developed... Uh, the, the expertise that you now have and specialising in, in paradressage. dressage
2: Well, um, I was an international event judge um, and I remarried and decided that I would give up doing international event judging because it meant being away from home a lot and a lot more than I really wanted to be. And um, my husband met somebody at a dinner in London, and uh, she said to him, would Jane be interested in joining the paras? Um, Obviously not as a writer. (laughs) 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 And um, he said, well, she might be. And then at the same time, um, John Quill Salt, who will be well known to anybody in para because she was really the founder of international para dressage, um, also asked me if I would go and do some teaching at a group that she had founded at Morton Morrill. And I said, oh, I don't know about that. Um, I don't know anything about disability. I'm not sure that I could do it. Um, but, to, I mean, to cut a long story short, like almost everybody I've ever met who has put their toe into paras, once you put your toe in, you are absolutely hooked. And the fascination of teaching in particular people with a disability and trying to have identical outcomes to those who have no disability is quite fascinating. Really makes you think about what you say, uh, think about how your pupils get to react. Um, it, It just opened a whole new horizon for me. And still to this day i haven't lost that fascination on the coaching side
0: what is of course extraordinary and i think impresses anyone who watches para dressage jane is the level of commitment and the ability within the disabilities of young riders
2: absolutely and and their willingness to help each other across the world i mean of course Each country wants to do as well as possible. But even so, when there's a crisis, they will all help each other. Um, And Lee would probably tell you himself about his experience in Athens with the French girl whose horse died entering the arena. And one of the most moving things I've ever, ever seen uh, was Lee giving his bouquet of flowers to this girl. Um, and that sort of thing I just don't really think you get that in able-bodied sport
0: It's extraordinary uh, sportsmanship isn't it on a, mm, on a level that as you say in able-bodied sports we don't see um, you know, because they come from a different place in their lives perhaps
2: Exactly uh, and, and these guys they've had to strive to get where, where they are um, it's, there is no shortcut for them uh, they could, even, if they, even if someone buys them a really smart horse, this smart horse has got to learn to cope with their disability and they've got to adapt to the smart horse's way of, of going and how it's been trained in the past. So, I mean, yes, their dedication and commitment is quite startling.
0: Well, it's extraordinary the growth of paradressage in the UK Jane I want to talk a little bit about that because obviously the, um, England is hosting the Olympic Games next year and the Paralympics and I'm sure you're going to be involved with that at some level But tell us a little bit about, I mean, having been involved with able-bodied sports for so long and coming into paradressage, you have the ideal perspective of why this particular sports discipline has grown at the rate it has and you have the success of the rate that you do in England. I mean, notwithstanding, of course, that England is a very successful equestrian nation, but this is different in itself, isn't it?
2: Yes. And I think we were lucky in in several ways. Firstly, of course, we were able to model ourselves on um, British dressage and in particular what it had done for young riders. And I was very lucky because I'd been director of young riders for British dressage uh, before I moved into the para role. So I knew quite a lot about how things had been set up and what sort of things we could mirror image. Um, Then, secondly, uh, that we had a clean sheet of paper. And, I mean, that's a wonderful position to be in. Uh, When I started out, there were perhaps six or eight riders, and that was it. Um, But there was no plan as such. Uh, I I, I mean, obviously, there was a, a plan to be able to try to find riders that you could send to Atlanta, for example, um, but there wasn't a, a structure, so that was marvellous. We had this great blank sheet of paper on which we could build our structure. And then the the best thing of all, of course, was having lottery funding, which comes through UK Sport, so that now we have a, a system where most disabled riders start out in RDA as in most countries in the world. And they can then move from that into we have a charity that supports um, riders starting out in sport.
0: We should point out that's the Riding for the Disabled Association.
2: Yeah, that's right. And then this charity is called the Para Dressage Training Trust. And what they do is they subsidise training in the regions, which might be with your own horse, it might be with a horse you've... Borrowed or hired for the occasion. And in addition, they provide schoolmaster horses for riders starting out in sport so that they can get noticed by the British Equestrian Federation, the BEF, and then possibly get onto one of the strands. Because there are four strands in the BEF um, there's a foundation squad, then there's a start potential and then a performance squad and all those squads are to some extent supported by the lottery. Uh, we have a full time performance um, director for para and for, um, for the para performance group and we have another director who looks after the development group which includes start and potential we have um, coaches that are dedicated to it, um, and they are, again, supported by UK Sport. I mean, they, our chief coach, Michel Asseline, uh, this is not his only job. He has a, a big training center. He and his wife both compete at Grand Prix um, internationally as well, as well as training our squad. And, and it's been that steady growth, and every time we've seen a gap, we've tried to fill in the gap so that we now have 200 registered para riders who are actually riding in para sport. Wow. Um, That's
0: an incredible uh, it, pool of talent there. Yeah. Obviously, you must feel optimistic about the Paralympics in London next year.
2: <laughs> well, we, we do, but of course, we've, we haven't been beaten yet. We've got to be beaten sometimes. <laughs> we, we, we just hope that it's not London.
0: <laughs> not in your own <laughs> so, backyard.
2: No, that's right. That's right. If we get beaten at the end of this month uh, for the Europeans in Belgium, um, we'll, we'll live with that because Lee is not riding because of his injury. Uh, but uh, we certainly don't want to be beaten in London.
0: <laughs> well, uh, th- what is extraordinary, of course, is is not just the growth of paradressage, but the growth of dressage in the UK. Mm-hmm. For an expat looking at that sport and how it has grown exponentially over the last 10, 15, 20 years, what do you attribute that to, Jane? I mean, I, mm-hmm. there's, obviously there's a lot of moving parts, and you said you have benefited in paradressage from... From learning from from what they 've done in, in able body dressage,
2: I think that um, the, the probably the most important thing has been the growth of what what we call birds, the British young rider dressage scheme, which encompasses the children riding in in dressage who might only be seven or eight years old all the way up to twenty one and and they again have benefited from the lottery funding because they have the strands that lead them through exactly the same pathway that I've just described for Paris. Um, And why there are now more people prepared to invest in dressage is a much harder question to answer. I think there's been a lot more um, journalism and... Uh, growth at, in the big national championships to get people to go and watch and therefore to get better sponsorship. Um, there's been much more interest in, interest in breeding. I just read today that we've just won the World Young Horse uh, Five-Year-Old Championship with a horse um, ridden by Michael Eilberg. Well, you would never have thought of us actually yeah. having... <laughs> that sort of uh, beating um, the
0: Germans and the Dutch and, uh, ex- exactly yeah
2: yeah
0: <laughs> it's quite- very very exciting and it's extraordinary mm. isn't it yeah. how how mm. it has grown and as you say when, why people invest in it is another matter because if you're not from the horse world and you look at dressages obviously it's a spectator sport, it's not as spectacular, it's not as exciting as anything that involves jumping, but it seems, exactly. I think through Freestyle to Music has, has done a lot for it too, and you, of course, use Freestyle in the paradressage dressage as well. Do you see this growth rate continuing, Jane, within paradressage?
2: dressage I suppose eventually we must have recruited almost everyone who's there to recruit. Um... So I guess the growth rate will slow down a little bit. But I, I, I expect that if we can keep our membership at around the 200 mark, that should enable the the sport to continue to, uh, to, to grow in, in the depth in terms of the, the quality uh, because we should get more quality uh, riders coming in right at the bottom so they're better educated now coming from RDA than they used to be in the beginning. Um, so I, I think that probably as say, the, the growth will slow down a little, but I think that if we can keep around the numbers we have now, that would be okay.
0: And you, of course, have this amazing structure now, which uh, is the foundation for your success. I want to ask you about judging, though, Jane. If you're coming from the able-bodied <laughs> world, and the opportunities are there to judge in, in peril, you obviously have to understand the grades, the levels, and, and mm-hmm. the expectations. What sort of challenge does that present to a judge?
2: I think the biggest challenge to somebody, and, and now you have to be judging at Pre Saint George level to get in as a judge. So you're starting off with educated judges who are used to judging horses which are um, working in an advanced frame, they're working uphill, they're working in collection. Well, that's all fine for grade four, which is the, the grade for the least disabled. It's not too bad for grade three. But when you get down to the bottom end of the scale and in 1A, the test is entirely in walk, most judges would never, ever have judged a whole test in walk and getting that right is really difficult because as Carlos Lopez says, well, of course, Jane, um, you know, the great one a championship is the Grand Prix of one a and he's right in a way. It's just that you can't expect somebody with very little physical strength to ride a horse uphill into a connection so what we are more looking at is the harmony between the horse and rider is absolutely the very top thing then we're looking at the self carriage, the horse's willingness to carry itself with as little help from the rider as possible and Of course, the quality of the walk is is paramount in top competition. Um, And even in the lower competition, you can't possibly have a faulty walk. It must at least be true and correct, even if it's not uh, a 9 or a 10 walk. But um, I know even speaking for myself, the courage to give a 9 or a 10 in walk and with the halt, there are the other two things you have, um, it's is hard. And then when you come on to 1B and you have some trotting, but again, um, one's expectation is not that the horse necessarily is going to be spectacularly uphill and um, engaged. We're, we're still looking for the harmony. If you get the odd rider like Lee who is able to do that, then, of course, they are going to be singled out from the rest because if they can keep the harmony and the expression, then they're, they're uh, firing away. Um, there's also a very good rider in 1B from Austria who in Lee's absence has been capitalizing like mad and is head uh, at the moment of the FEI rankings, and his name is Pepo Pook, and remember this name because he, I think he will give Italy a really nice challenge over the next um, few years. And um, he has some lovely horses, he's an excellent rider, so he knows what it's like to ride, and and he has the ability to ride his horses um, in this rather special way
0: how does one become a, a para judge then obviously you have to as you said of of uh, judging at, at uh pre-saint george level at least yeah uh, yeah you just apply to that association in your country jane
2: that's that's right and uh, i mean needless to say we have a very strong structure um we're very strict with our judges Uh, If they want to come in um, and they're on the right list, we insist that they do uh, some work with the RDA tests as well as the power tests, so they do get a really good understanding about disability. Although you're not going to judge the disability in any way, you do need to recognize the difficulties that are going to be encountered if you've only got one leg or one arm or you can't see, um, all the all these things. Um, and th- so they progress nationally. And then when they have judged sufficiently nationally, they can go to uh, British Dressage and ask if they can apply for uh, to go as an FEI candidate judge where they then go through exactly the same procedure as able-bodied judges. Um, They have to go on a course. They have to have judged a certain number of competitions and shadow judged and all this sort of thing in order to gradually progress up to stars. So we have exactly the same starring uh, structure as able-bodied judges have. And you're, of
0: course, a five-star
2: judge, aren't you? That's right, Yeah. yeah.
0: So as good as it gets.
2: Well, I
0: suppose that's right. Well, Jane, you're clearly going to be a force to be reckoned with with the para-dressage, the British team over there for the London Olympics and and also for the able-bodied team. Who would have thought, Jane, that when you and I, I don't remember how long ago when we were working together and we would look at dressage and imagine that we were in this position now with British dressage and para-dressage?
2: Yeah, you certainly wouldn't when when there were only sort of three or four horses in the in the Grand Prix. Yes. I mean, that was it in the country. Yes. Um, it's just phenomenal.
0: It certainly is. You must be very excited about hosting the Olympics and the Paralympics.
2: Oh, yes. And, and I was lucky enough to go to the test event. And I think that Greenwich is going to be a fantastic site, truly memorable. And, um, and we'll, we'll hope and pray that we have some reasonable weather that it's not too British on the weather front
0: Well we we hope hope so for everyone's benefit and uh, we want to wish you the best of luck with your team but not too much luck because you know we do have a good team out
2: here as well Exactly
0: (laughs) Jane thank you so much for spending time with us this week I really enjoyed having you on the show and good luck next year
2: Thank you very much indeed
0: And if you are interested in getting involved in para dressage then we suggest you go to the website for your governing body in your country. And if you're in England, that would be British Dressage.co.uk, where they have a page on getting started in para-equestrian. Well, my next guest is Courtney King-Dye, who's well known to many listeners here on the Dressage Radio Show. And uh, not least of all, she came on... Actually, we had a special show for her a few weeks ago now, and uh, she told us how she was doing in the Road to Recovery, well, I thought it was time to catch up with her again because I recently heard that she was getting herself involved in paradressage dressage to become a competitor. And if you know Courtney, you'll know she's not short of determination. So we'll hear about that in just a moment, how she's getting started. But before we do that, I want to remind you about our sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show, Horseshow.com, because you can now compete online just like you were at a regular horse show at Horseshow.com. You can get judged by the top riders and get the judges comments. Just upload your home video and enter a class online at horseshow.com It's a simple and economic way for you to compete with your horse from home It's also a great way to prepare for your next show or to track your progress during the off-season Horseshow.com features real horse shows for multiple breeds and disciplines and they're judged by nationally accredited judges So don't wait, upload and enter to win anytime at horseshow.com well, as I said, my next guest, she may be an Olympian, but she still has new ambitions. And Courtney Dye now is setting her new targets on becoming a paradressage competitor. So I was able to catch up with Courtney the other day. She leads a, a very busy schedule, but she had time to tell us a little bit now about where she's heading with this new goal that she has to become a competitor in this sport of paradressage. Well hi Courtney, welcome back to the show You're becoming a regular here on the Dressage Radio Show
3: Yes (laughs) How are you?
0: I'm good, thank you How are you? I'm very well, thank you I I was wondering about your riding, Courtney because a little bird told me that you've got some new ambitions that you're going to tell us about this week
3: yeah, um, I uh, decided that I wanted to to do para-dressage because um, I, before I wanted to compete with the best in the world like I did before, but then I realized that it's going to be years. So I think para-dressage is great because it's... It allows you to show the best you can be right now. So I I think, like, I am really happy about doing career dressage because it gives me goals to work towards and schedule and that, things like that. And so I do career dressage, but I hope that it's a stepping stone Back into able-bodied transage. So I think it's a fantastic, like, for people that are injured or hurt or disabled, I think it's a fantastic way to show the best you can be right now.
0: Well no one will be surprised Courtney that you have these ambitions you know you've just started riding I know you're riding regularly now and and obviously you're continuing to improve both in your rehabilitation and your riding. Um, Tell us exactly where you are what is your comfort zone right now with your riding Courtney with walking is it trotting how is it going right now?
3: Well, um with paratrassage, I'm really between levels because I can walk on my own and they have a walk on the test but I'm too fence for that. But and I do try it with uh, someone leading the horse but I can't try it by myself yet. So um because my arm doesn't work so I can't steer so um, I'm really not good enough to do the chest or trot in it, but I'm allergic to dance for the walk test, so I'm in between levels. And um, my riding right now, I ride twice a week, and I'm so lucky to have a perfect horse. So I already boarded my barn, and the owner very, very generously lets me ride her. And so um, I get to ride her twice a week, and she's perfect.
0: So tell us about the levels. You said you're in between levels, Courtney, because I think this would help people understand, you know, how does someone get involved with para dressage you know they may have a different disability uh, all kinds of disabilities and they may be wondering well maybe this is something for me but how do i get started and what what are the levels that um, they should uh, expect um, you explained you that you're between levels courtney
3: well um, i would say just contact what i did is contact you and they have um, information on paradressage there and they will send you physical therapist um, a paper of test to do with you to give them an idea of how they grade you. The level depends on the grade. There are, I think, four grades and um, directly between the bottom two grades.
0: So once you start, then you said you're in between the bottom two. Um, would you then just continue to work up the grades before you well, start competing, or when when would you actually start competing, uh, Courtney, for your grade?
3: Well, the thing is, I was concerned about competing in to Josaj because I thought maybe my intended recovery would be a problem, so they said there's no problem at all. Some people's disabilities are permanent, so they always stay the same grade, and if I continue to improve as expected, then I will go up the grade. um, what do you to do?
0: I was just interested then in terms of com- competing. Uh, court- oh Maybe, yeah, yes. Where where you well, would go next, and when would you start competing for your grade?
3: Well, um, my goal is to be able to do um, the grade. The first grade was starting by the end of Florida. That's my goal but I am not positive it will happen, but it's good to have a goal.
0: Absolutely. Well, you've always set yourself goals, haven't you? And, and right now, I guess your focus is on your steering and the brakes. It's a bit like driving a car. You've got to have your steering and your brakes working, haven't you?
3: Well, yeah, but I'm good at brakes, and I'm okay at steering. What I'm not good at is the balance of case, To trot. So I am all out of balance and wobbly, and so I really have to build up my horse strength to be stable. And my right arm has to get better because not only can I not feel the horse when I trot, my right arm is so unstable. It bounces around, it flops around, so it's terrible.
0: So it's a continuous challenge for you, but your determination is as as strong as ever, isn't it? I mean, you're just determined to make your way with power and uh, eventually become able-bodied as a rider and back to you know, the former life you had before the accident. You, you, do you set yourself milestones? You, did, you mentioned that you had the one about trotting before the end of Florida. D- tell us where that fits in your calendar, Courtney. Um,
3: well, I rather really don't have a learned from this injury not to have a calendar. I can't set expectations because of my body has to accommodate. So I'm really with riding. I am just like, I just love riding. And so I set goals because I like to work towards something, but my time on the horse is just enjoyment of being with the horse.
0: And you're riding twice a week, you said. Do you expect that you will be riding more or does it depend on your schedule? Because you do a lot of rehab and therapy and all kinds of things, arts and pottery. Yeah. You're busy, aren't you? Yes,
3: very busy. But I think in Florida, I will get to ride more because our barn is closed. Here is 45 minutes each way. So I have to have a worker's come pick me up and take me back, which takes three hours out of their day. So it's um, like, of course, I'm busy, but it takes much more time for her.
0: And so you'll be heading to Florida then later this year for for the winter, will you, Courtney? So you'll be able to get closer to your horse. Yeah.
3: I think that I'll go down this year um,
0: um,
3: in November
0: and come back in May. Wonderful. Well, that's something to look forward to. And now you're doing some teaching as well, aren't you?
3: Yes, I teach one Monday, week Thursday. is my fun day. And so I just started teaching writers who I don't know. Because before, I felt bad charging for when I wasn't sure that they'd understand my speaking. But I just started to teach some people that I don't know. So um, every week on Thursdays, I go teach. And I teach all my horses. And it's fun to be a part of their life. And even though of course I would like to be writing, I get a lot of enjoyment out of teaching.
0: Well, good for you, Courtney. You're really making the best of everything. I want to wish you the best of luck with your goals and your ambitions with the para-dressage, your inspiration to so many people and uh, not least of all people who may be considering doing some para-dressage themselves. So good luck and come back on the show again in a few months' time and tell us how it's going in Florida. Well, do thank you, think, Chris. Thank you so much, Courtney. Take care.
3: Okay, bye.
0: Well, if you're looking for inspiration, I hope you'll agree that you'll certainly find it on this week's show. Well, I do have one more thing for you in just a second. But before I get to that, I want to remind you about Charles Owen, one of our valued sponsors here on the Horse Radio Network's Dressage Radio Show. And that is that they also, apart from, of course, being well known for their helmets, they also make gloves. And one of those is the Ruckle Chester. It's a lightweight, close-fitting glove made from Vesta synthetic leather. It provides a sensitive feel on the reins, coupled with an excellent grip. And the Ruckle New Ascot Glove is another stylish synthetic leather glove that comes with rein reinforcements and an elasticated wristband, plus a hook-and-loop fastening tab for adjustability. The back of the glove is breathable, which prevents the build-up of sweat. It's practical and hard-wearing, making it ideal for everyday use. You can find out more about these gloves and all of the Charles Owen products by visiting their website at charlesowen.co.uk. And my final segment this week is a quote from a well-known Olympian, someone you know and love who's been on the Dressage Radio Show. Can you tell me who this is? I caught the horse book spending summers on my uncle's ranch in Kansas. When I was 12, I managed to persuade my parents to buy me a pony called Flanagan. Promising that I would pay for the upkeep of the pony myself. I found a place to keep him at the local county fairground, where there was also a trainer. He allowed me to work for my pony's board. When I was fourteen, I remember being horrified to find this trainer in my pony's stable with a whip in his hand, abusively trying to teach Flanagan to stand up on his hind legs. At that point, I went looking for a new stable which is when I met my future husband. So if you know who I was quoting there, just drop me an email, chris at horseradionetwork.com, or post it on our Facebook fan page at Dressage Radio. And you can also leave your comments and questions there, of course. We always love to hear from you if you've got any ideas. If you have any suggestions for great partnerships too, we are always continuing that series here on the show. And I also do want to remind you about our young reporters. We've got young reporters now on all of my three shows. I'm really excited about that. So if you're under 20 years of age and you're anywhere in the world and have a competition you would like to report here on the show, then send me an email, chris at horseradionetwork.com. Don't forget to check out all our show notes at dressageradio.com. You can also go to uh, our Hallway Feeds app if you have an iPhone and listen on the go, as I said earlier. And you know, also can check out our offers uh, from Audible and Amazon straight from our website at dressageradio.com. And also visit us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio or Chris E. Stafford. Don't forget the middle E. And don't be shy about contacting me. I always love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions or suggestions for the show. Chris at horseradionetwork.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at horseradionetwork.com well that wraps it up for this week I hope you've enjoyed our focus on paradressage, I want to thank my guests again Lee Pearson, Jane Goldsmith and Courtney Dye I will be back of course at the same time the same place next week, so until then thank you all for listening